The Packers' win over the Atlanta Falcons in the 2010 Divisional Playoffs is legendary, and rightfully so. On January 15, 2011, the Packers went into Atlanta and delivered an almighty beatdown to the NFC's number one seed. It was the game that showed that a Packers team that had barely squeaked into the playoffs was good enough to win the Super Bowl. It was our best look to that point at Aaron Rodgers operating at the peak of his powers. It was also a game of redemption. As you no doubt know, this was not the first time in the 2010 season the Packers had played the Falcons. They had traveled to Atlanta a little less than two months prior for a date with the high-flying Falcons and came up short. That game was a turning point for three of the biggest names ultimately involved in the Falcons' beatdown in the playoffs. And here are their stories. The Mike McCarthy you know today is not what he once was. Now he's the coach of the Dallas Cowboys and a member of the NFL's old guard. Fairly or not, he's viewed as a bit past his prime, a little outdated and maybe just a little boring. But he hasn't always been that way. When Mike McCarthy was hired in 2006, he promised he would bring a title to Green Bay. And by year two, it looked like he was set to deliver. But then Brett Favre... coming from the Giants. Favre looking for driver and it's picked off. Intercepted by Webster. In more ways than one. I was told that playing in Green Bay was not an option. Then I was told that we can't imagine you playing or can't envision you playing with another team as well. What does that tell me? It tells me we don't want you playing, period. Just like that, Mike McCarthy was back to the drawing board. And it took him a while to get the Packers back to contender status. And even then... Nothing was guaranteed. Extra man on the blitz. Rodgers gets a hand to the face. The ball is out. The Arizona Cardinals win it. Heading into the 2010 season, McCarthy knew it was time to put up or shut up. He was headed into his fifth season as the head coach of the Packers, and he had set himself a high bar. As training camp began that year, he told reporters the season was Super Bowl or bust. Quote, I just had our team meeting, and we talked about winning the Super Bowl. We talked about where it's played at and the relevance of our team meeting room. The only team pictures in that room are the team pictures of the world champions of the Green Bay Packers. And everything we've done throughout the offseason and everything we'll do starting today will be taking a step to being the next team up on that wall. End quote. Through the first six weeks of that season, bust seemed pretty much just as likely as a Super Bowl. After opening the season with solid wins over the Eagles and Bills in Weeks 1 and 2, McCarthy and the Packers fell to the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field on Monday Night Football, the first of several bad losses. From Weeks 3 to 6, the Packers would lose three of four games, including two overtime losses, first to Washington. Here's the snap, the placement, kick, boom, to the uprights, and it is good. And then to Miami. In, in overtime. Carpenter, kick is on the way, and he nails it! Dolphins get the victory in Green Bay, and they Things seem just about ready to spiral out of control. The Packers fall to 3-3 three and three overall. But the Packers found their feet. First, they beat Brett Favre and the Vikings. Then they eked out a 9-0 win over the Jets. Then they obliterated the Cowboys, took a bye week, then came back and did the same to the Vikings. Suddenly, the Packers were 7-3 and and in contention for the top seed in the NFC. Mike McCarthy was in the midst of his best coaching job with the Packers so far, 
and he wasn't ready to stop. We got our foot on the gas, hands on the wheel, we're looking straight ahead. But the Falcons got the better of Mike McCarthy and the Packers no matter what McCarthy tried. And to be fair, most of what he tried was giving the ball to Aaron Rodgers and seeing what happened. And who could blame him? The Packers had dominated the last month through the air. Rodgers had thrown for almost 600 yards and seven touchdowns in the last two games alone, and McCarthy seemed determined to have Rodgers win it for the Packers in Atlanta. Of the Packers' 59 plays, Rodgers was either throwing or running on 48 of them. That's partly because it worked. Rodgers threw for 344 yards and a score. But it was also because they had nobody to run with, even if McCarthy had wanted to. Rookie running back James Starks was inactive. Brandon Jackson carried 10 times and went nowhere. Demetri Nance, the Packers' third-string running back, left with a concussion midway through the game. It was Rodgers and nobody else. And McCarthy never apologized, even if he was asked repeatedly after the game why he didn't commit to the run. Quote, I've never seen a quarterback in my time here play to that level in the passing game. I'll make that statement clearly here. I thought he played at an extremely high level in the passing game. End quote. In the passing game, yes, Rodgers was amazing. When he was tasked at getting the ball into the end zone, though, that was another story. But that's beside the point. That November day in Atlanta, McCarthy learned that Aaron Rodgers could carry him to a win through the air if he had to, whether he had help from the running game or not. Two months later, Mike McCarthy would ask him to do just that, and Rodgers would deliver. But that's the end of the story. The journey to get there is the interesting part. With the benefit of hindsight, we can see Aaron Rodgers' performance in Atlanta as his first moment of going from merely good Aaron Rodgers to the demigod, all caps, Aaron Rodgers that we know and love. After his destruction of the Atlanta Falcons, he'd win a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl MVP, collect a league MVP award while leading the Packers to a 15-1 record the next season, pick up another MVP a couple of years later, and generally spend most of the next decade cementing his status as one of the best and most exciting quarterbacks of all time. Sure, there have been some bumps in the road between then and now, but it's basically been a decade of winning for Rodgers. But again, that's the end of the story. The beginning is something else. Rodgers, who the only place he's going to take you to is the toilet bowl, and then you got Brett Favre, who will take you to the Super Bowl. To every person, to every player... There's perception, and there's reality. I think we all understand that. The reality is that Aaron Rodgers was pretty darn good from the moment he took over for Brett Favre. Sure, he had to endure the indignity of a draft day slide, taking his team to the toilet bowl and sitting for three years behind Favre, but from the moment he took over as a starter, he was more or less an excellent quarterback, and the Packers rewarded him with a contract extension midway through the 2008 season. But again, perception. Plenty of quarterbacks have been good for a long time without ever winning anything, earning themselves a permanent yeah-but status whenever anybody brings up their name in conversation. Just ask Dan Marino how that goes. In 2010, Aaron Rodgers was taking the early steps down that very path. In 2008, his first year as a starter, he'd been good, but not great. And the Packers missed the playoffs in part because Rodgers came up small in the clutch a few times. In 2009, Rodgers and the Packers lost twice to Brett Favre and the Vikings, but ultimately did make the playoffs. Their stay wasn't long, though. You no doubt remember Rodgers and the Packers losing to the Arizona Cardinals in the 2009 playoffs on a controversial final play that included a missed face mask penalty on Arizona. But you may not remember what had happened just three plays prior. 
when Aaron Rodgers missed a wide-open Greg Jennings on what could have been the game-winning touchdown. Play action to start the overtime, and Rodgers down the middle goes for Jennings. And with the official falling on his backside, Jennings was open and missed. And look, plenty of good quarterbacks don't win Super Bowls, but not every quarterback is tasked with following Brett Favre. In 2010, Rodgers finally looked to be putting together the kind of campaign that might silence the doubters. After a slow start, he and the offense caught fire. Over the month leading up to the Falcons game, Rodgers had outdueled Brett Favre, helped the Packers gut out their close win over the Jets, then played so well against the Cowboys and Vikings that he essentially got the fourth quarter off in both games. Rodgers was becoming the quarterback the Packers had always hoped he could be, and he was playing so well that even the normally very reserved Bob McGinn of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel couldn't help but praise him. In fact, he even went out of his way to tout Rodgers' ball security. He wrote, quote, Entering the games this week, quarterbacks in the National Football League have been charged with 166 fumbles, 67 of which were recovered by the opponent. Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers hasn't fumbled at all, end quote. As it would turn out, McGinn might have pronounced a bit of a curse that day. With little help from the running game, McCarthy turned to Rodgers on back-to-back quarterback sneaks from inside the Falcons' two-yard line midway through the second quarter. Rodgers couldn't break through on the first, and on the second, Rodgers will keep it. Rodgers committed the ultimate sin. And is that ball on the ground in the end zone? Atlanta says it is. It is. He turned the ball over on the doorstep of the end zone. The first fumble this season by Aaron Rodgers. Taking over on their own 20 after recovering Rodgers' fumble in the end zone, Atlanta marched 80 yards for their first touchdown of the day, a 14-point swing in a game the Packers would ultimately lose by just three points. Rodgers also fumbled and nearly ended the game late in the fourth quarter, though he did recover and throw the game-tying touchdown to Jordy Nelson. Just a few days after McGinn had praised his ball security, Rodgers had put the ball on the ground twice in key spots. It was clear then that to beat the Falcons in Atlanta, Rodgers would have to be nearly perfect. Two months later, with a trip to the NFC Championship game on the line, he was. Rodgers for James Jones. Jones fought for it. Touchdown. What a catch. But he also had help. The 2010 Packers secondary featured a couple of legends. Nick Collins weaved his way to a scintillating score in the Super Bowl, cementing his status as a Packers great even before a neck injury prematurely ended a career that could have ended in Canton. Leaps for the touchdown! Charles Woodson, meanwhile, was the reigning defensive player of the year in 2010, and his leadership in the Packers locker room was unquestioned. Let's get it. And check this. The president don't want to come watch us to the Super Bowl. We'll go see him. But in the playoffs in Atlanta, it wasn't a Packers legend or future NFL Hall of Famer that made the Falcons pay. It was former undrafted free agent Tremont Williams. End zone, broken up and now intercepted. Tremont Williams, who has been tremendous. But once again, we're starting at the end of the story. The beginning is the important part. In 2010, Williams was barely four years removed from spending an entire season on the fringes of the NFL. He had been signed by the Houston Texans as an undrafted free agent following the 2006 NFL draft, but he was cut by the Texans in September. The Packers scooped him up, and he finished out that year on the practice squad. The next season, he made his presence felt, earning a roster spot and playing in every single game. 
He even had a key pass deflection in the 2007 NFC Championship, knocking a would-be touchdown out of the hands of future Super Bowl hero David Tyree. Pretty good throw by Manning. Tyree had a shot at it. Tremont Williams was out there in coverage, and a 37-yard field goal try is about to be attempted by Lawrence Times. Three years yeah, later, Williams was in the midst of what would be his only Pro Bowl season. Heading into the Packers' Week 12 showdown in Atlanta, he'd put together a fine statistical resume. In 10 games, he had picked off four passes, forced two fumbles, and started every week opposite Charles Woodson. He even moonlighted as the Packers' primary punt returner, averaging just under eight yards a return. But that November day in Atlanta, Williams was not at his best. Facing one of the league's best offenses, Williams failed to get a hand on a single pass, the only time during the entire month of November he didn't record a pass defensed in a game. Williams was also victimized on one of the game's key plays. The Packers' offense had tied the game with about a minute to go, but the Falcons were driving for a shot at a last-second field goal. On the first play of the Falcons' drive, Roddy White shook Williams loose and escaped out of bounds after a nine-yard gain, giving the Falcons an opportunity to save their lone remaining timeout. Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan went so far as to call that the key play of the drive. You know, one of the best things that happened that drive was the first play, Roddy catching it, you know, running inside, stops, reverses field, and goes back out and gets out of bounds. That leaves us a bunch of time to get down the field. Uh, it was just a great But play. another interesting thing happened on what would become the decisive drive of the game. With 18 seconds to go, the Falcons faced a third and three on the Packers' 29-yard line and chose to run a very specific play. With three receivers to the right of the formation, Matt Ryan took the snap and rolled to that side, hoping to hit Roddy White on a short out route to give the Falcons a bit of extra field position before they attempted a game-winning field goal. Packers safety Charlie Peppers sat on the out route, though, and with Tremont Williams taking the deep receiver to that side, Ryan threw it away. Ryan rolling and just throws it away under heavy pressure. The Falcons ultimately kicked the game-winning field goal, and that third-and-three play was consigned to the dustbin of history. Or was it? Two months later, the Falcons were again driving for some points, this time late in the first half. With 10 seconds to go in the second quarter, the Falcons faced a second-and-19 from the Packers' 35-yard line and chose to run a very specific play. With two receivers to the left of the formation— Matt Ryan took the snap and rolled to that side, hoping to find Roddy White on a short out route to give the Falcons a bit of extra field position before they attempted a field goal to end the half. Only this time, it wasn't Charlie Pepper sitting on the route. Pass is picked off! Tremont Williams, and he may go! They tried to bite off more yardage, and they just got burned. The coach finally making a triumphant return to the postseason a quarterback becoming a legend after replacing a legend, a former fringe player making a big play on the biggest of stages. This is the end of that story. But never forget the beginnings. The Packers are about to start another playoff push, and whether they win or lose in the playoffs, the stories you're going to hear this January have deep roots. The heroes that are made this month and beyond weren't always who they are today. We may see some exciting chapters in a few stories this weekend, but those stories were already being written long ago.